0: Welcome to episode 3 of Scotland starts here, the podcast that explores what Midlothian and the Scottish Borders have to offer visitors and tourists.
1: Hey, how you doing? How was your day today? Cuz I know you've had a bad week.
0: This time we'll focus on what's on offer to art lovers, including a unique opportunity to spend time with a globally renowned glass sculptor where she lives and works in Midlothian.
1: Well, I think people really enjoy visiting artists. I know I do. Visiting artists where they live and work, because you can talk to them in a different way about the pieces that they have on show. You know, Temple and this part of Midlothian are particularly beautiful. It's a treat to to welcome people here.
0: We'll meet Alison Kinnaird later, but first, we'll explore this area's unique relationship with textiles and weaving.
2: This area has been famous for textiles for many, many, many generations.
3: By the 40s, Hollywood film stars, later British royalty, were beating a path to Hoyk to see where their favourite knitwear was made.
4: It's all done with such loving TLC and provenance and heritage are absolutely what we're able to offer in the borders.
0: If you've already listened to episodes one and two taking in the amazing history of this area and the many things to do in the great outdoors, you'll already be familiar with this song. It's brilliant. I love it. It's so catchy. It's been my earworm for weeks. It's called A Thousand Miles Away and it's by Evie Archenhold, a talented young singer-songwriter from the Borders. This song is on an album called Weave, released by SoundCycle, the Borders Youth Music Forum. Check them out at soundcycle.bandcamp.com. Now, normally I'd name-check Evie in SoundCycle at the end of an episode, but this time it seemed a sensible way to kick us off. Why? Well, because as well as Weave, SoundCycle also have albums named Warp and Weft. These, to the uninitiated, are all words drawn from the textile industry. So it's a perfect illustration of just how much weaving and textiles are part of the fabric of life here. Pun absolutely intended.
2: We dye it here, wind it, then we create our warps, which are the vertical threads, and then we take it into the loom, which is where we put in the horizontal threads to create the weft.
0: Leah Robertson is marketing manager of Loch Caron of Scotland, a textile manufacturer and visitor centre in Selkirk. They are Scotland's leading manufacturer of tartan, and they also work with some of the world's biggest fashion brands. As a visitor here, you get to see their whole manufacturing process.
2: So, we start off here, which is basically discussing um, the yarns that we, the yarns that we source. We source some of our yarns from the u k if we can. most of the fiber or the, the wool that is grown in the u k is quite short and quite coarse, generally used for the carpet industry, so we can 't always use it for apparel goods because sometimes it 's just too too coarse. That being the case, we then source from Australia and, and New Zealand for our merino wools and into South Africa for our mohair yarn. And this is just a selection of some of the yarns that we buy in here.
0: And already you're seeing many different colours and absolutely, textures.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. versatile. Absolutely, it's very versatile. So in here, this is our dyeing facility. <laughs> wow,
0: and the noise, it's almost like we're taking off.
2: Yes. Absolutely. So as a hive of industry in here, we're constantly busy keeping up with demand for color, because color is intrinsic in tartan. It really is a huge part of of what it is. We keep a a vast array of recipe cards in here so that we can maintain standards through our dye colors.
0: And what is the noise that we're hearing?
2: This is something that we call the whiz. It's actually a very large spin dryer that takes the excess water from the dyed yarn before we put it into the oven to bake and dry it. Amazing. We have three different methods of warping here at Loch Harren, which all of the visitors can see. It's a great vantage point here. We have um, our Suzuki, which is for short warp lengths for samples. And then we have our work banks over here, which is creating larger, larger jobs for production.
0: And where we're standing here is a vantage point over a very, very industrial looking environment. We've got yarns, hundreds of yarns on, on kind of poles. There's an enormous machine, which is, I'm guessing, a dyeing machine. We've got people hard at work here. It's a really authentic experience.
2: Absolutely, uh, Loch is one of the last remaining quite large authentic weaving mills. The whole beauty of the tour is that people can come and really they can see, they can smell, they can hear all of the sounds, the really authentic sounds of, of the weaving process and I think it is that sensory overload when you come in here you really are getting to see to see everything. That's the sound of the loom stopping which usually means that there is a broken end or a broken pick, which is a weft thread, and the weaver will then start correcting that issue before we continue to weave.
0: I had no idea what to expect before coming here, but uh, I did not expect to be standing in the middle of such an industrial manufacturing environment.
2: Absolutely, it is the real The real bird's-eye view of exactly what goes on to create tartan, cloth and accessories. Because I think
0: actually most people would assume that in this day and age, most of this stuff is done in other countries and imported, actually.
2: Yes, and I think that's what's really wonderful about Loch of Scotland, is that we're still creating everything here from design, concept, through to manufacturing the goods. Everything is made in Scotland
0: Okay, as fascinating as that was, Leah, it's definitely quieter in here and I can hear myself think, where, where are we now?
2: Absolutely, so the contrast between the the machines outside and the production floor and then coming into the darning flat, which is where um, we look for any things that need to be mended or darned or fixed. It's such a skilled job that it's absolute peace and quiet in here at all time, concentration.
0: And again, very old school, quite these sort of wooden almost large school desks here that people work at.
2: Yes, they are, and they have light boxes inside of them so that the darners can use their eye and they can have as many sort of, as much light cast onto onto the unfinished cloth. So the cloth is still quite open at this stage and they can see if there are any knots or breakages or anything that they might need to alert the rest of the production team to or to fix before going to the cloth finishers, which is where the cloth is um, washed and then dried, ready for garments.
0: Well, we'll hear more from Leah later on, but now I want to introduce two great textile and design experts, a husband and wife team with a wealth of experience insights and stories.
4: My name is Sheila Mary Carruthers and yes, I am a professor of design at Heriot-Watt University and I have been in this industry for 50 years, consistently working as a designer across the world and across all aspects of the fashion and textiles industry.
5: And I am Hamish Carruthers. I've been in the industry all my life, whether it's here or New York or wherever, and I've I've travelled all over the world selling Scottish fabrics and selling the concept of our experience.
0: What I'm hoping you can do for me, Sheila Mary, is just give me the the kind of potted history. How did weaving become such an intrinsic part of the Scottish borders?
4: In common with most of the textile areas in the UK and throughout the world, it's water that's the starting point. You've got to have raw materials, you've got to have sheep, and then you've got to have water to make a the mills work once we got power um, machinery in and water to wash the textiles because you sheep are not they don't take showers very often so of course the consequence of that is the wool contains natural oil and grease lanolin and that has to be removed once the manufacturing process is complete that's how it started it started probably in the hosiery side of things we made in-house in 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 homes they made stockings as gradually that became mechanised. Then that spelt out into a larger hosiery, what we called hosiery industry, which is now morphed into the knitwear industry. And alongside the weavers, we're sitting in a place called Gattonside. And round here are old weaver's cottages because the hand looms were in people's houses. Again, close to the river. But as that grew, then Gallashiels became the centre of the weaving industry. It morphed from Gala Shields through to Walkerburn, through to Selkirk. The knitwear industry centred around Hoyk. And that's how this area has remained a manufacturing centre of excellence.
0: Would you mind just telling that story? We don't know how truthful the story is, but it's certainly well known, of how the name Tweed came about.
4: Supposedly, Walter Scott, a great supporter of the industry, was communicating to a london tailor and the london tailor misinterpreted the word tweed the word twill I beg your pardon for tweed bad handwriting and hence the, the the generic name for fabric manufactured within this area twill is a structure tweed obviously is a river but it became the name for anything that was surface textured and using the local fleeces which are slightly coarser type of wool than you found in other parts of the world. So that's supposedly how it started, but there's no proof of the matter. We don't know whether that's true or not true, but it makes a nice story. But it's a name that's known everywhere. I mean, Hamish has traveled the world selling tweed. Now, some of it was 100% silk, because that's what the Americans wanted. But it still carries on today. Lockharen don't just make, they make cashmere, they don't just make fabrics out of wool. And they have, all these manufacturers have such a global, prestigious client list because that's what we're good at in this border area. We make things in a way that you will not find anywhere else in the world. And we know because we travelled, we've seen it, our making quality is superb.
0: Hamish and Sheila Mary both fervently believe that the making ability and the design in this area is and has long been second to none. Where the textiles industry around here has been weaker, they say, has been in shouting loudly about how great it is. It's a problem that Hamish has spent his career trying to rectify, with some
5: success. As part of my remit, I was the, um, the sales director at Claridge Mills in Selkirk. And at that time, they were very much a menswear weaver and I thought that there was more money making uh, stuff for women's wear. So I started going all over the place, whether it's Japan or New York, and working with the up-and-coming designers of the day, like Donna Karan and Calvin Klein and Ralph Lauren. Then I became uh, the president of the South Scotland Chamber of Commerce, and there was some money lying in the account. I thought, what can I do with that that would be effective for the textile industry? So I decided to try and get all my contacts, which were all the top designers of the world, into the Scottish borders to then disperse them across the Scottish borders to the manufacturers that were there at the time so that they could see what the manufacturers here did and to build relationships with these people so that Scottish borders, textiles and knitwear would benefit from the up-and-coming designer brands of of the time. They flew them in on Concorde and private planes, and we had them: Donna Karen, um, Mark Jacobs, Michael Kors—all the names that are big today Vivian were Westwood. here. Vivian Westwood, she gets all her fabrics made in in Selkirk.
4: Now we have companies like Johnsons of Elgin, who employ hundreds of people in the Scottish Borders. And in the the north of uh, Scotland, in Elgin, we have the Barrys of this world, who were so experienced and very successful that Chanel had to buy them because they couldn't live without them.
0: It's actually quite a sort of a semi-secret, isn't it, that Chanel have a big presence here in the Borders? Mm, not
4: I don't really. think it's a, I don't think it's a secret now. Chanel have always had a big presence. The, the Chanel's, the Guccis, it, the Ralph Lawrence, the Armani's, all these people have made here, in true Scottish. Ways. We haven't shouted loudly enough. Italians are very good shouting loudly and saying we're the best. The Scots design and make superbly, but we don't stand up and say that strongly enough. And the designers in place know how to exploit machinery. And that's what we've got together with the skill of the workforce.
0: It's fascinating to talk to you both. You're so completely steeped in this industry and in this heritage. Thank you very much. This podcast is obviously called Scotland Starts Here. It's aimed at tourists and visitors to the area. What would be your recommendations, Sheila Mary first and then Hamish, to visitors to this part of the world who want to find out more about textiles and weaving and all that heritage?
4: There are visitor centres. Loch Cairn operate in, in a place called Selkirk. They operate mill tours. And then if you go to Hoyk, Johnson's of Elgin have the same. They have it for the knitwear side of the, the industry. And the process of manufacturing, the knitwear in Scotland, will stagger. There's 20 or 30 processes involved. A lot of it handwork. When you see that, the visitor to those mills will turn around and say, I understand what I'm paying for now. It's a whole different garment from the one that's produced and available readily on a high street they're not the same thing they might look at it first glance one will last you a lifetime now that's what we need more of we're all trying to save the planet buy something that will last you Buy i have knitwear i've had for 40 years and it's fine that's the message come to the borders buy something that's been well crafted well made well finished and you'll have it for a very long time. It's all done with such loving TLC, and provenance and heritage are absolutely what we're able to offer in the
1: Borders.
5: If um, uh, tourists were coming to see part of the heritage of of, uh, Scottish Borders uh, textile industry, they should go to Hoyk, because in Hoyk you have the the Tower House, which has uh, changing um, exhibitions on textiles. Huge thanks then to Hamish and
0: Sheila Mary Carruthers, We've taken Hamish's advice on board now. We are in the border town of Hoyk. And when it comes to textiles, you're spoilt for choice here. You've got the Lovett Mill, home of Tweed, cashmere shops, a working mill and visitor centre, and some of the oldest knitwear brands in Scotland. But right here in the centre of town, beside the fast flowing river, a reminder by the way that soft water is such a vital ingredient in this border's textile story, is the Hoyk Tower House. It's a museum dedicated to telling the knitwear and tweed story around here from its very origins. Because they knitted stockings at first, you know, hose. Richard White is one of the museum's curators. Just
3: describe this machine then. What is it? What are we looking at? It's it's a beautiful old wooden frame. Yeah, it's a mechanism for knitting. It's called a stocking frame. And the operator sat on the seat and used foot pedals and his hands to knit, but also to continually knock off needles, knock them out of use. So the piece that was being knitted would get narrower where required and then could be widened again. And that's what Hoyke really founded itself on was the expert shaping. As opposed to being knitted the same width and then cut, which is what happened in lots of other places, especially the Midlands of England that was seen as quite inferior way to, to make garments. And then about the late 1820s, the wider, the broad frame arrived with a much wider needle bed, which allowed things wider than stockings to be made, i.e. underwear, vests, and all those amazing <laughs> underwear items that Victorians wore. You know. <laughs> so many of yeah, them, yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and how did that expertise come to be developed here more than elsewhere, was it
3: to do with better equipment, better training? Well, uh, better training, maybe. Definitely not better equipment. It was the same equipment. I think the reason that Hoik concentrated on these much more expensive manufacturing methods was people weren't going to beat a path to Hoik because of its geographical position, unless they produced something extra special. Nobody was going to buy from Hoik unless a) the manufacturing was high quality and b) the fibres used were were high quality.
0: So that's what brings about the really
3: high-end textile industry here in Hoyk.
0: And that, in turn, is what brings the high-end fashion designers here. It brings the interest of people like Coco Chanel and many others.
3: Yes, well, I mean, by the late 1800s, Hoyk had built up such a name for itself as the town which manufactured the world's best knitwear. And as I say, that was based on shaping and suitability for purpose and the luxurious fibers and fabrics but underwear isn't exactly what you call a fashion item and the fashion side of things didn't really take off until underwear moved to outerwear and that wasn't until really in the 1920s in the 1920s people took the underwear stitch the stocking stitch and started to produce sweaters cardigans in that stitch It's very comfortable to wear, it's stretchy, it's warm without being smothering. And it really appealed to people in the 1920s, where I think golf and the grouse moor were really taking off, you know, leisure pursuits. I mean, at first amongst the middle classes and the upper classes, obviously, knitwear was a new term, I think it was first coined in the early 20s, probably by a hoik firm. And these easy-wearing, comfortable, warm garments, pullovers, cardigans really appealed to people who liked to be outdoors and of course that meant there was a need for fashionable appearance for the season's colors for the correct shape the correct length and Hoyk had the expertise to make that because it had become expert through making the world's best underwear so underwear in effect became outerwear and what is most interesting is by the 30s Innes Henderson which was then the biggest knitwear company in Hoyk was making garments which they called matching sets. That's a cardigan and a pullover underneath in the exact same color, exact same fiber. So these matching sets took off. And Pringle, when they acquired a Austrian designer called Otto Weiss, started making these two and eventually started calling them twin sets. And the word twin set is already inspired by these matching sets, which I think was a high convention. Eventually, by the 40s, Hollywood film stars, later British royalty, were beating a path to Hoyk to see where their favourite knitwear was made. Made in Hoyk really meant something. Thank you to Richard White. Do go and check out the Hoyk Textile Tower.
0: There's all sorts of fascinating machinery and tools in there. But if those glory days aren't quite as in evidence as they were, this is still a globally respected textile centre. Back on the Loch Cairn of Scotland visitors tour, Leah Robertson is showing me some of the high-end clients they work with.
2: I think what's interesting about tartan is that enduring spirit that it has and that constancy that it's never really out of fashion. While we're always working with heritage companies and we're working with traditional kilt makers and people looking for their clan, we're also working with some of the international design houses, creating uh, garments for their catwalk.
0: And right here at the end of the tour, there are lots and lots of posters on the wall, images of catwalk models uh, for, I'm just looking at, the, looking at the signs, Alexander McQueen, Chanel, Burberry, Michael Kors. It's very obvious that you're working with the very, very highest end of designers.
2: We, absolutely. So you can see here some of the images from the catwalk show and directly underneath some of the swatches that were woven here.
0: That's a huge breadth of customer base, isn't it? You've got kind of people getting set for weddings. You've got kind of traditional older gentlemen and also Alexander McQueen and Chanel designers. It's, That's, it's exactly,
2: huge. Exactly that. It is, it's this constancy and it is that enduring love of tartan and its flexibility. You can use it for, you know, the connotations of school uniforms or punk, uh, street style, and high fashion, as well as your traditional kilt makers.
0: And if you've made it this far at Loch Caron and you haven't seen a tartan you'd like to buy, you can get your own, made up for you.
2: This is the design studio. We offer a tartan design service as well, so you can have your own family or clan tartan designed, created, and then woven here as well. And then we can help you register it with the Scottish Register of Tartans.
0: That is quite a special extra to your trip isn't it? It
2: really is it really is and it's something that you can sort of have for many generations throughout your family as well.
0: Families, businesses, charities and even Hollywood have been here to get their own bespoke designs.
2: You can just see sort of a flavor of some of them there's the Ryder Cup and the Solheim Cup which is sort of sporting tartans then we've got the wildlife the Antarctic and the Arctic tartans. We did the cancer research tartan. There's
0: one there for the riding for the disabled association. Did, a a lovely was green a and blue.
2: Really popular tartan this year. Really popular. Had great, um, great feedback on that. And then more kind of fun tartan like the Shrek that we did in con- conjunction with the new film that came out recently.
0: So you made the Shrek tartan for the Shrek film.
2: Yes, 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 because of his Scottish heritage.
0: Dodgy accents, but Scottish heritage.
2: <laughs> yeah, dodgy Canadian Scottish accent.
0: Exit by the gift shop, they say, don't they? That's the that's the <laughs> next that's the next step. Absolutely. So at the end of the tour, Leah, there is the opportunity to pick up some tartan and take away some of the products for yourself.
2: Absolutely, after gaining knowledge of how everything is made on the tour and the noise and the sight and sound of the tour, you can come into the CAM of the Visitor Centre and yeah, you can shop for your tartan, uh, scarves, cloth um, and other goods that, that were all created here at the mill.
0: And I can tell by the, the sights and smells over here, there's a lovely Coffee shop as well. It's a good place to just sit and relax for a little while.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. After a, a sort of busy time on the tour and some sh- shopping, you can then go into the into the coffee shop and have a, have a lunch or a coffee and, and some relaxing time, just wind down.
0: Well, we've spoken a lot about textiles this episode and with good reason. It's something this area is rightly very proud of. But for just the last part of this podcast, we're going to change tack. There are so many brilliant makers and creators across our destination. There's traditional blacksmithing at Kusland Smiddy and Yellow Door, a wonderful pottery studio. They're both in Midlothian. But I wanted to showcase now something a bit different, really quite special, a unique opportunity to visitors. It's also in Midlothian.
1: My name is Alison Kinnaird. I've been working as an engraver, a glass engraver, for nearly 50 years now.
0: Alison Kinnaird, MBE, is a multi-award-winning and globally famous artist working in glass.
1: We live in the village of Temple, which is a lovely place, very historic place to live. It was the headquarters of the Knights Templar in Scotland. And we live in the converted church, just opposite the Old ruined Church. Her work is exhibited across the globe in public, royal and private collections.
0: She's also one of Scotland's leading harpists and her husband Robin runs respected music label Temple Records, also from their home. The pair of them are happy to open their doors and welcome curious visitors.
1: Well, I think people really enjoy visiting artists. I know I do. uh, Visiting artists where they live and work because you can talk to them in a different way about uh, the pieces that they have on show. What we enjoy having is people calling in advance just to check that we're home because we're not open from nine to five every day. But we are uh, available for people to come and see both the the place where we live, which is very picturesque, and uh, the work that's going on in it, and the the um, work that has, uh, is on exhibition.
0: I think it's such a generous offer because this is your home, this is your private space. And you say, Come and see us here. Come and talk to us. Come and see what we do.
1: Well, it's always been a, a workspace very much for, for both my husband and myself over 40 years. Uh, and, if, you know, it's it's a large building. Uh, so there's plenty of room for us to have a normal house and carry on our day-to-day activities as well as working in here and having space for people to, to look at what we've produced.
0: Excellent. Do you, do you mind if we do a little tour now as a bit of a, as, as a Absol- flavour of what, of what they might be. No so problem, we
1: can wh- do that.
0: Where are we now and, and what's around us here?
1: Well, we're in the recording studio, which I've actually taken over as part of my exhibition space. And so I've got a number of pieces standing around. Some of it is lit with LEDs. Um, they're mostly individual pieces that people can uh, buy or they're large pieces that have been done for exhibitions and uh, are there as examples of my work.
0: They're beautiful. And as you say, some of them are are self-lit by LED. There's a large lead-framed, obviously this is a church, church window over here. Um, And this, tell me about this blue and white round piece with a a head and shoulders in the middle of it, because that really is kind of glinting in the sunlight at the moment.
1: Well, by chance you've chosen a piece which was blown for me, especially by David Kaplan down at Lindine Mill. Um, He's a very expert glass blower and has worked with me over a number of years and uh, I ask him to do certain things for me. And this is a, what we call a cased glass disc. It's blown with colour on one side. And so I shade away the colour to get the, um, the sort of mysterious effect that you can see there. But the, the colour in particular is a very beautiful thing with glass. I mean, that's one of the, the, the wonderful things about glass. It actually does glow when you have light coming through it. And blue is a particularly beautiful colour in glass. So, this is the first of three rooms, is it, that you've got? This is the first of three rooms. The next room is what we call the big room. We kept one room the full height of the the church because it is a spectacular building. Um, so we've got the windows the full height of one wall and uh, they're great to show the glass against, of course. So it's uh, a bonus as far as we're concerned.
0: You can probably hear from the change in acoustics, this is the big room we've moved into now. The full height, the full ceiling height of the church. Mm -hmm. Again, there's pieces, glass pieces everywhere. I'm going to be very, very careful as I move around. Some of these figures are quite dark, aren't they? They're quite um, sinister looking. Have I misread that?
1: No, I'm good with that, actually. Glass is such a beautiful medium. Whatever you do in it is going to look beautiful. And so it's actually one of the challenges is to do strong work. So sometimes I choose subjects that are unexpected. The theme of this one is that I once heard that in the 14th century, the average person met 100 people in their lifetime. And now we meet more than 100 people in an hour easily. Everybody just passes through each other's lives as if it were in the click of a shutter or something like that.
0: And you've demonstrated that with the kind of dark figure in the middle with the, the camera pressed to their face. And he is set against a backdrop of um, head and shoulders. And presumably those are all the people that he's met in the last hour or so. These
1: are the people passing through his life just in the blink of an eye. Glass has got this sort of dual character. It's very beautiful, but it's also very dangerous. And it can be opaque and it can be transparent it can be a mirror, it can be a window. So there's a whole lot of opposites that you can play with when you're picking a subject to work with.
0: Just looking down at a much smaller piece here, two kind of embryonic babies lying in what looks to be a glass tomb almost, or a block of ice. What are we looking at here?
1: Well, these ones came from a radio interview that I heard a lady who'd been in the siege of Leningrad as a child and she'd been helping in an orphanage where conditions were just dreadful and she'd been sent upstairs to fetch something in this old building they were living in, opened a door and saw a Christmas tree with what she first thought were presents underneath it and then she realised that these were the children who had died and because it was so cold, the ground was frozen, they couldn't be buried and they had just placed them under the Christmas tree. That Moved me a lot. And then glass has got the quality of ice. So these are my frozen babies.
0: Goodness me, that's tough. That's a, that's a tough yeah, thing to think yeah. about. But of course, that's what a lot
1: of art is there to do, isn't it? To, well, to challenge art, art, art should look at the deeper things in life as well as the, the beautiful things. I
0: don't know how you'll respond to this because it's a very odd thing to ask somebody, but it's quite a special thing you're offering whether you realise that, how how special it is to be able to come here, you know, world-renowned artist, to come here to your home and have these conversations with you about these works.
1: Well, you know, a, a lot of artists work on their own constantly, and so actually meeting people is a pleasure. So I certainly don't mind people coming and enjoying the surroundings because, you know, Temple and this part of Midlothian are particularly beautiful. It's a treat to, to welcome people here.
0: Just say again what people need to do in order to get in touch. Do they? Is there a website address or, or a particular... How, how can they reach you?
1: Uh, well, they can contact me through my website. It's www.alisonkinnerd.com. The idea really would be to phone up beforehand and just say that they would like to visit on a particular day. And if we're around, we'll say... If I'm too busy, I'll also say I'm in the middle of something on that day and sorry, can you make it the next day? But we can usually, you know, work at it so that people can come and see us because we do enjoy welcoming people here.
0: You'll accommodate them if you can. Alison Kinnead, thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. Well, what a one of a kind special opportunity that is. And that brings us to the end of episode three of Scotland Starts Here. A big thank you, as ever, to everyone who's taken part this time. That's Leah Robertson from Loch Caron, uh, Hamish and Sheila Mary Carruthers, Richard White from the Hoyt Textile Tower, and of course, Alison Kinnaird. (laughs) Thanks also to Jack Fillimore, who helped out with the research and production of this episode. Please rate, review and subscribe to Scotland Starts Here wherever you get your podcasts. Do follow us on social media as well. To find out more about the places featured, we've got both a website and a downloadable app for your phone or tablet. Just search Scotland Starts Here for both of those.
5: How you doing? I know it's been a while, but I want to see if you're...
0: They've actually both got a search filter as well, so you can really home in on arts and crafts if that's your particular area of interest. Also a reminder that this incredibly catchy song we're listening to is from young Borders singer-songwriter Evie Archenhold. We said this right at the beginning. Evie's with SoundCycle from the Borders Youth Music Forum, a collection of young musicians. Check out their music and their three albums, Weave, Warp and Weft at soundcycle.bandcamp.com. Next time, then, I hope you've brought your appetite because we'll be showcasing this area's amazing food and drink produce. We'll find out why this area so often gets called Scotland's Breadbasket.